Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rich State of Mind. In this episode, I'm interviewing Latoya Gary. She's a licensed mortgage advisor with Angel Oak Home Loans. She's a mortgage professional and her main goal is to guide her clients through home buying process with care and compassion for their unique situation. Latoya is definitely a teacher as she explains in this episode. Uh, she definitely broke down everything to a very elementary level so that even somebody that has no idea you know, about anything that we were talking about, you were able to grasp uh, the concept and be able to walk into the next time or the first time you buy a home uh, with some idea of what you need to be asking your home home loan officer. So please enjoy this episode. Please stay tuned. It was a great one. Thank you for listening. Please visit our site at www.richstateofmind.com where we provide content on real estate, personal finances, and self-development. Share your story and information by posting a blog on our site so that the Rich State of Mind community continues to grow in knowledge. You can also follow our Instagram page at rich underscore state brand to find out about exclusive offers and discount promotions for our apparel. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other outlets. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And thank you for listening. Hey, LaToya, thank you for taking this time this evening for this episode. This will be the first time that we're interviewing a loan officer, so I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as you said, my name is LaToya Goodwin-Gary. Um, in some worlds, I go by Gigi, and other worlds, I just go by Gary. Um, I am a mom of an almost nine-year-old and an almost three-year-old, a wife, and I've been married to my husband, Tony, for nearly 16 years yeah wow. i'm that old Great. um and uh, i am a, an educator by trade uh I, I was a teacher and an assistant principal for 16 years my husband and i dibbled and dabbled in real estate investment and um i recently in the last year or so became a mortgage loan advisor okay and so what, what made you want to become a uh, mortgage loan advisor well, as I mentioned in the question before, um, my husband and I kind of dibbled and dabbled in real estate investment, and I really liked real estate. I, I knew I wanted to do something in it. I just didn't know when and how. I spoke with a realtor broker friend, and he's like, gee, you are really good with math. Have you ever thought about the mortgage side of real estate? And I'm like, no, I haven't, um, but, you know, let me look into that. And so I did and ended up meeting a... a um, a regional manager and we had a um, mutual friends and he kind of took me under his wing and took the test, passed the test. And I've been rocking it out since. Okay. So there's, there's a state test when it comes to being a loan officer. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a national test that every loan officer has to take and pass unless they work for a bank. 
Gotcha. Okay. Did not know that. And that's definitely something that uh, I guess people that don't know anything about it would take in consideration. So when it comes to a, being a loan officer, how is a loan officer paid? Is it salary? Is it based off of the loans that you bring in? Well, most loan officers are commissioned, um, but it will certainly depend on who you work for. Um, as I said, most of us are 100% commission. You know, we don't get paid until we close a loan. And the percentage that you get paid is also based on your experience and the lender that you work for. Some um, loan officers receive a small salary and then commission um, on each of the loans that they close. Also, and maybe I missed it, is the amount of commission you get based off of how much you how big the loan is. So if I get a million dollar loan, that's, I get a bigger commission. Right, exactly. So we get paid a percentage. For example, we get some um, loan officers get paid 1%. So they're going to get paid 1% on a $150,000 house as they would get 1% on a million dollar house. So obviously the higher the purchase price, the more money that we make. Awesome. Okay. And so what type of loans are available, you know, at you as a loan officer, you know, what type of uh, loans do you provide or advertise to uh, applicants? And uh, I'll start with that question first, and then I'll go to my next question. Sure thing. So there are the standard, I call them the standard loans. We all offer FHA, your government-backed loans, conventional type loans, USDA loans, which are your loans for those that live in a rural area where they're trying to develop those areas. So they're the rural, the USDA loans. And then there's the VA loans for people like yourself who have served our country and our veterans from the military. And so those are what we call the traditional type of loans. Um, and most lenders <clears throat> offer those. And then you have um, what are called non-QM loans. So these are not loans that follow your standard gu guidelines. These are loans for your investors. These are loans for your self-employed or entrepreneurs whose tax returns don't necessarily show the income that they actually make. So they want to qualify based on the monies that they bring in. So those are called bank statement loans or 1099 loans. So okay. you have those investment um, cash flow loans, and then you have other portfolio loans for, again, people who have monies, but they're, um, they may, they may, may not, huh. You have the other, you have the investor type loans um, and other portfolio loans for people who uh, they may not have income. They may not be employed as a W-2 employee, but they are making money from other assets and they want to qualify based on their assets. And so uh, if I want to qualify based off my assets, I'm assuming it's based off what my liquid assets are. So if I own 10 properties uh, and yeah, I'm probably going to try to show as much of a loss as I possibly can in my taxes. Mm -hmm. then hey i have 300 grand of equity mm -hmm. how does that how does that calculate into how much i can uh purchase. loan for or purchase mm -hmm. yeah that's a great question so it depends again on the loan type that you look at for example we have an what's called an investor cash flow program so that is where someone wants to to buy an investment property so we would be looking at that um borrower or that buyers of course we're going to look at their um we're going to look at their credit score, and then we will also look at the market rent for that investment property. So if, for example, the mortgage on that property is going to be $1,000, if your rent 
the market rent in the area is at least $1,000 per an appraisal, not per what the buyer says, but per an appraisal, uh, then we will loan you that money. Okay, so y'all uh, have the one percent rule as well. Y'all go we by have the one percent. We have the one. We have the one percent rule. Um, some invest. Some who lend to investors have a higher rate, um, like one point two. Uh, I've heard, but we do have a one. We have a one percent rule. Um, and then we have like a bank statement program. So let's say, for instance, you um, you are self-employed and, you know, you're you're making money. Like you said, you're making tens and hundreds of thousand dollars a month or whatever have you. But as you said, at the end of the day, you don't want to be taxed like crazy. So you've written everything off. And so your your tax returns don't look like you make as much money. Then we would examine your bank statements for the last 12 or 24 months. And wow. we'd be able to determine your income minus your business expenses. And we would use that income versus your tax returns to qualify you to purchase a home. And that can be an investment property or your primary residence. And then how much is usually required to put down on a, uh, a loan type like that? That is an excellent question. So we do have programs that go up to 90% LTV, LTV, LTV being your loan to value, which means you would have to put down 10%. Now, that also means that you got to be a little better on the credit side, right? And so our programs will go all the way down to a 640. But if you have a 640, 660, you're going to need to bring about 20% instead. But if you are higher, 700 and above, then you only need to bring 10% for those loan types. Okay. And these are the, and again, I want to make sure I'm saying this right. This is the portfolio yes. building. These are types. the portfolio loan types, the non-QM. So on your traditional loan type, so that is a great, that's a great point to clarify. If you are going to qualify on a traditional loan type, don't worry about 10 or 20%. That's a, that can be a significant amount of money depending on your purchase price. If you're going to qualify with a traditional loan type, like an FHA loan, you only need three and a half percent. If you're going to qualify on a conventional loan type, they have programs, and a lot of people don't know this, but they have two programs called Home Ready and Home Possible, where you can qualify with 3% down. And you can also qualify on a traditional conventional loan with as little as 5% down. Oftentimes people hear conventional loan type and they think 20% because that's what we learned growing up. Yes. That is not true. So, so you can get a home for as little as three or three and a half percent down. So with these conventional loans where it's possible to get 5%, does it have to be my primary home? it has to be your primary residence or actually that is not true fha it has to be your primary residence conventional it does not have to be your primary residence so but if it's not okay. your primary residence you cannot put down to five percent okay 5%, gotcha, gotcha. yes so five percent is if it is going to be the home that you will occupy as your own okay because i was about to end this interview now and call my loan officer because <laughs> he's telling me 20 percent, and uh you telling me five I was about to hit them up. No, but I can get you 10% though. For investment, <laughs> conventional? Yes. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. So, hey, as the funny thing is, the cool thing I like about these interviews, mm -hmm. I learn as just as the audience does, because these are, these are not spoken. You know, a lot of things are not spoken. Like I just learned about, uh, what's it called when you are, you're reassessing a loan. Like I got a loan. It, you can't do it on VA, VA loans or FHA loans. 
but you can, you can, uh, it's a type of refinance where I can put a whole bunch of money down and it adjusts my mortgage to where now my mortgage is not as, uh, expensive anymore. Uh, maybe like, um, to refinance it for a shorter term. So no, it's not, a, it's, it's not called a refinance. And I know we've gone a little bit off. Uh, it's not, it's not a refinance, but, uh, I will definitely put it in the show notes because yes, it's something that's that not verbal. spoken on a lot. Yeah. For me so that I can see if it's something that we offer at Angel Oak. Yeah. So, so pretty much, I just want to be clear. So pretty much you can say, I can go to you, my loan officer say, I want to do such and such. And I have 50 grand. Let's just say my, you know, I inherited it. I have 50 grand. I want to put down on my house and I wanted to adjust my monthly mortgage. And it doesn't affect your credit. Like it doesn't look bad on you. It doesn't uh, look like you. So they will do an analysis. They'll take that 50,000, put it toward the principal and readjust what you have on do on the back end. But I would advise you if you do have 50,000 to take that 50,000 and break it up into two or three and purchase three investment properties instead. Of course. <laughs> but everybody's got different goals. So that's why I was just like, oh, that's kind of cool because. But those cash flowing properties can pay. For oh that. yeah, for sure. I'm definitely, uh, I definitely uh, advocate for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all right. So we talked about FHA 3.5% down. It's got to be primary home. Uh, we talked about conventional. You can do 5%. Now, why would somebody want to go conventional and do 5% down for it to be their primary home versus doing FHA, which is 3.5? Why would I that pick conventional? That is an excellent question. So there are a number of reasons why you might pick conventional over FHA. Well, let's talk about FHA first. FHA is a little more, for lack of a better word, lenient on the credit than conventional. Okay. So some borrowers may only qualify for FHA if they have a if they're in the lower score range, if they have other blemishes on their credit profile, they may not get approved for a conventional loan. But as you said, why would I choose 5% on a conventional loan versus 3.5% on a um, FHA loan? Well, that is because of PMI. And that is your private mortgage insurance. Your private mortgage insurance or your mortgage insurance on an FHA loan is for the life of the loan. And basically what you're doing is you are paying the government to insure your loan. They uh, want to make sure that if you were to default, and hopefully you do not, but things do happen, that they are insured and they would receive their monies for the property if you were to lose it to foreclosure. For FHA loan types, that insurance lasts for the life of the loan. When you have a conventional loan type, the private mortgage insurance, there is still PMI. Oftentimes people say, well, for conventional, there is no PMI. Well, that's not true. There's PMI if you put less than 20% down. So if you put down 20%, no PMI. You put down less than 20%. And think about it like this. It's the risk. They're taking a risk by allowing us to borrow hundred, two, three, um, however much thousands of dollars. So if you put down 20%, they feel a little good about themselves, right? Oh, he came with 20%. We don't need to insure this. We feel a little confident. Well, he's putting down three or 5%. We need to insure our loan. So the conventional loan will be insured as well. 
However, once you reach 78% LTV, and remember we, saw, we said that term earlier, loan to value, once you reach 78% loan to value, the PMI drops off. So you no longer have that added cost in your mortgage. That is one of the main reasons why you would choose a conventional loan type over an FHA loan type. Now, FHA has gotten quite um, attractive to borrowers who qualify for conventional as well because the rates are so low. So it just really depends on the borrower. Honestly, when a borrower applies with me, I will see if they qualify for FHA and conventional. I will say this will be your mortgage payment with FHA and how much money you need to close. This is how much you know your payments will be on a conventional loan type because this is the interest rate and this is how much you will need to close. This is the one that I think is better than the other and allow the borrower to choose. Now, again, sometimes a borrower is only qualified at that time for FHA loan type. Yeah, because of the credit score, more lenient on the credit score. That's right. They're more lenient on the credit score and also more lenient on the DTI. And so um, hopefully you'll be able to put in the notes because I'm saying a lot of acronyms here. So the DTI is your debt to income ratio. The FHA is going to be a little more lenient on the debt to income ratio as well. So what is debt to income ratio? Well, it is not anything magic. Um, and I'm actually thinking on doing a video on it because I will have a lot of borrowers who are qualified per their credit score and not qualified based on their DTI. Okay, so how much money do you make uh, pre-taxes, your gross income monthly as it compares to your debt? And so you wanna be somewhere in the 40 to 50% range. And if you're closest to the 50, it's FHA. Um, so you want to be in the 40 to 50% range. You want to, again, take your income, your monthly income, um, take all of your bills, not your electric, not your water, what shows up on your credit report, credit cards, car payments, student loans, and you're going to take the minimum monthly payment and um, divide that by your, your gross income and you'll get, you know, your, your decimal or your percentage and you want to be in the 40 to 50% range. That's pretty, that's pretty uh, good. That's pretty lenient, actually. It, it is pretty lenient. And right now things are lenient. Um, and hopefully, you know, they stay that way because honestly, 40 to 50% is not a lot in the grand scheme of things. So I often have people that say, I can't get a $1,000 mortgage, but I can pay a $1,500 rent. And it's because of DTI. It's because of your debt to income ratio. Maybe and, it's the Dave so, Ramsey and me. Well, I'm saying 40 to 50% is a lot. 40 to 50% is, it is a lot in the, you know, but not in the grand scheme of things. But the reason, again, why they do that is because of risk. If something were to happen, if, if you were ill, if you had extra added bills, you need that cushion, you know, you need that cushion. And that is what the lender is looking for to make sure something were to happen. If your car broke down, your child had to go to college, that you have money there. You don't want to overextend yourself. And so that's why... Um, you know, 40 to 50. And since you said that's lenient, it is lenient. There have to be compensating factors for you to be able to go up to 50. I'm not going to lend you money at 50% DTI and a 600 credit score and a bunch of blemishes on your profile and your mortgage is twice your rent. 
there are no compensating factors there. <laughs> but if you have, you know, 50% DTI, but you have a 700 credit score and, um, you know, your mortgage is going to be a thousand and your rent was 1400, those are compensating factors, if that makes sense. And also something I wanted to add too, because something that's helped uh, Amira and I is uh, when we apply for different loans, it helps that we have the income from the rental properties that we add. So, cause it, I don't want it to just look like I have two extra homes out there and they're just, I'm just paying a mortgage straight up. We can add that into our debt to income ratio and that helps us qualify for bigger, for bigger deals. That's so right. that's something else. Cause I get asked that when we, uh, for the leases, we get asked for the leases a lot. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, on your, um, your investment properties, I won't ask you for any of that. So you just call me when you're ready for your next property. Okay. Oh, just personal, personal question. Where are you at? Uh, what state are you in? I'm in South Carolina. So you're South Carolina. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. Back to the interview. All right. So, <laughs> um, so what's the difference? So I'm pretty sure you get it all the time and everybody can relate in the mail. We get this, you've been pre-qualified for these loans. Right. And so what is the difference between being pre-qualified and pre-approved for uh, a home loan? Getting an offer accepted. Okay, so what do you mean by that? So a pre-qualification, when you get those in the mail, you've been pre-qualified for a car, you've been pre-qualified for a mortgage, you've been pre-qualified for everything under the sun. They are looking at basic information that they can find anywhere, your income. Um, cause I, like I, when I work for the state, you can search your income. Like somebody can search me out and know how much I make. Right. Uh, cause we work for the state, right. We work for the government. And so, um, they, they've pre-qualified you based on that, or you apply for a credit card at Lowe's. Lowe's, uh, sold your information to some other company. So they know you have a good score. So they pre-qualified you based on some information that they found on the worldwide net. Right. And so, but they haven't done a deep dive. So that is a pre-qualification. A pre-approval is where I am looking at your income. I am looking at your debt. I am looking at your assets. I am looking at your credit. So I have looked at everything. So when people apply with me and they don't give me any documents, I tell them, it looks like you have a good score. Do you want me to go farther? then I need to see your pay stubs. I need to see your bank statements. I need to see your tax returns. So a pre-approval is where we've assessed all of that to make sure that you, when you go into underwriting, when that other person who's going to make sure that this is a good file looks at it, then you are not just pre-approved. You're going to close on your home. And right now with the market, the way that it is, people used to, be able to put in an offer on a home with a pre-qual a pre-qualification or by just simply by putting an offer in on a home that is no longer because there are more at this current time buyers than there are homes for sale and so no one has time for the shenanigans so they want to see a solid pre-approval before they accept your offer on their home because guess and what I- they had eight other offers and I think it's good business anyways. I, I try to make sure before I even approach my real estate agent, I have the pre-approval so mm-hmm. that she you knows she doesn't feel like she's wasting her time. Uh, I think that's kind of the, st- I, I call uh, loan, a loan officer is Jeremy. I, I call him like, hey, look, you know, I'm gonna talk to you first before I talk to Nicole because I don't want, you know, I want everybody to feel like nobody's wasting their time. I'm sitting there asking for half a million dollar homes. And I'm like, come on, aunt, you only got proof of 400, you know? So- right. <laughs> 
and, and that's exactly what would happen. You know, we have big dreams, you know, and so you're out here and you're looking at, like you said, a million dollar home, but really your budget costs for a $400,000 home. And it's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it's just yeah. being realistic and not wasting their time or yours. Exactly. And um, this is, um. so I think when it comes to this process, this is the true gut check of, hey, this is where I find financially stand because aside from having a financial advisor, uh, or bookkeeper, I would say the loan officer is probably the most into your Wheaties or your CPA, the most into your Wheaties of what's going on in your life financially. Oh, and so okay. most people don't have a CPA, you know, at least not when they use all the time, you know, they mm -hmm. probably maybe do do TurboTax or something like that, right. the W-2. And right. then a lot of people don't have financial advisors, but a lot of people buy mortgages, you know, buy homes. Mm -hmm. And so they're probably like, man, I'm coughing up all this information. And then right. they, they get a reality check of, oh, wow, this is what this is what my financial stability is looking like right now. Yeah, um, and it, it's not a good feeling, you know, please, you know, I, and, and it's not something that I take lightly. If people are pre-approved, then I am happy to pre-approve them. That's, again, how I get paid at the end of the day. Um, but if they are not pre-approved, one of the things that I just really pride myself on is educating them on why you're not pre-approved today and what you can do to be pre-approved in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, depending on their situation. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, a former mentor, mentor taught me is that everybody is a home buyer. Not everybody is mortgage ready. And so what can we do to get you mortgage ready? It's just not today. It's, it might be three months from now. It might be next year, but if you follow the steps and that's, I think that is one of the things, and I know this is, is not about me, but um, of me and the people that I work with and some other lenders that I know that will set us apart from the masses is taking the time to do that. Because I don't know, I remember when I had bad credit and if I applied for something, they didn't call me and tell me why I wasn't approved for it. Seven to 10 days later, you get a letter in the mail that you're denied, right? And so taking that time to analyze why someone isn't mortgage ready and helping them get mortgage ready is one of the things that'll set us apart. Yeah, and you build a relationship and they'll remember to call you back. Um, one of my biggest complaints, and I probably said it like in 10 of our episodes, is when it comes to this real estate business, if you would just, you are doing better than 90% of the people if you just pick up the phone and follow up. Mm -hmm. That's a real estate agent. That's a loan officer. That's a broker. That's a wholesaler. That's anybody. If you either pick up the phone or you call back, follow up, you will do so much better. People will remember you. And uh, so I, I definitely agree with that concept. And it, it, I'm pretty sure it's working very well for y'all uh, because it's, a, it's the biggest purchase that somebody probably ever making in their life. Biggest purchase they'll make in their lives. Exactly. And so we shouldn't take it lightly because of that very fact. And so with, you know, okay, I'm buying a home. A lot of people think that, you know, it's, I'm just doing a down payment if I have to, even if I have to. Uh, what are the other expenses that come with uh, buying, purchasing a home? That's a great question. So let's start with the down payment. I didn't touch on USDA or VA loans. Um, and those loan types, you do not have to make a down payment. They are 100% financed. 
Um, so you don't have a down payment in those loan types. In South Carolina, I partner with SC Housing and we have down payment assistance for which many borrowers, not all, can qualify for down payment assistance and they do not have to make a down payment either. Um, and there are other down payment assistance programs in your various states um, that you may or may not qualify for because there are income limits and there are home purchase price limits. Um, but, you know, it's always something to explore, right? And so with that, other than your down payment and your closing cost, because let's talk, we talked about the market, right? Back in the day, like when I bought my house 10 years ago, my seller paid all of the closing costs. Yeah. Because it was a buyer's market at that time. Right now it's a seller's market and very few, again, I, I won't try to step into the realm of being a realtor, but in what I've seen in my files, very few sellers are paying closing costs. So you have to have money saved because you're going to need that three, three and a half percent down payment plus your closing cost. And so your closing costs are what you're going to pay your attorney. Uh, it is going to be your, uh, your taxes. It is going to be your um, homeowner's insurance, all of that rolled up into one big old fat check, right? Um, so you have your down payment, you have your closing costs. A couple of the things that people oftentimes don't think about, and you need this money before you close, is to get an appraisal. And so the buyer is responsible for the appraisal and you want an appraisal. You especially want one in this market where people are offering more than an asking price. Because what you want to do is make sure that your house isn't upside down. Isn't that a term with cars? Like you owe more than your car is worth. So you want to make sure you get an appraisal. And depending on where you are, I would say an average of $500. So yeah. you need that in advance. And then you want to get an inspection and an inspection is not required, but my gosh, you want an inspection. Yes, like you do. I had a client and she got all of these inspections, but she opted not to get the HVAC inspection at the last before time expired. Right. So a realtor will talk about how much time you have to get those inspections done. Right. But before that time expired, she said, I should get an HVAC inspection. And lo and behold, the system needed to be replaced. And thankfully, the uh, seller was willing to pay that cost. But had she closed and then the home belonged to her, she would have incurred that cost. Yep. Right? So that actually that actually happened to me. Um, the first rental property we purchased, I got an inspection. The home was uh, it's over 100 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, usually so... In my experience, for my home inspectors, they usually charge uh, charge based off the square footage. Mm -hmm. uh, so this home is like twenty five hundred square foot. So I think he charged me about four or five hundred. And what he found was outside of right, they take moisture and uh, termite damage on the right. underneath the house, which is huge fungus, huge. Right. Uh, right. But aside from that, he he identified that the HVAC system, they the people in the neighborhood have been stealing the copper mm. out of the HVAC mm -hmm. and were you know obviously selling it for whatever they needed. Right. And um, I got lucky to where the seller, he was gracious enough to buy a whole new HVAC system, mm -hmm. a whole new brand one. But yeah, that's that's real. And HVACs are not cheap. Twelve thousand dollars easily. 
right. They're not cheap at all. Um, this was a small home, um, but still, I think it was five or six thousand dollars. So, you know, yeah. five or six thousand dollars that a single mom on, you know, on a budget didn't have. So thankfully, you know, that was caught in, in the inspection. So appraisals, inspections and um, termite inspection. Um, are things that I would suggest that you do well you have no choice on the appraisal but the other things you know that I would suggest you be prepared to do prior to closing yes and then it's good that you get the inspection because uh when, especially for VA I, that appraisal was like so uh nitpicky oh yeah it was so, so nitpicky VA appraisals are extremely um nitpicky I you know I I can't even speak on this why and what happens and why are appraisal types different but they are indeed <laughs> yeah oh so it's yeah it just made me think it was they was going back and forth with me about a shingle like on one yeah. shingle going back and forth with me a little something mm-hmm Yep. So, so what can somebody uh, expect to, to be included in their mortgage payment? Uh, what is included in a mortgage payment? That's a great question. So one of the things that always happens is people get on Google.com, you know, Google, you know, they're Google queens and kings. And they say, oh, I can purchase a house and my mortgage payment will be $553.45. I found that online on the online calculator. Where did you come up with $1,000? Well, most of those calculators are only including your principal and interest, but your mortgage payment includes your principal interest taxes and insurance. So we will um, estimate your taxes based on the county that you live in um, and of course get that monthly um that monthly amount, as well as the insurance, we will estimate that as well. And then you're welcome, the buyer is welcome to get their own insurance quote. Mm -hmm. So you will have your principal interest taxes and insurance um, included in your mortgage payment. And of course your taxes and in insurance go into an escrow account. So they go into a little side account until your taxes are due and your insurance is due annually. And so uh, that's something nobody has to really worry about until they, they pay the home off in, in its entirety. And then they manually have to pay their taxes and that's obviously their insurance. That's exactly right. And so as long as you have a um, mortgage servicer, um, so the person, the, the company that is servicing your loan, um, Angel Oak or, you know, some one of those other ones out there, um, then your mortgage um, payment will include those things and, and the servicer will take care of paying the taxes and insurance annually. Once you're, you are free and clear as far as your mortgage is concerned, then you would be responsible for paying the, that with your insurance company and with your county for your taxes. And so since we're talking about mortgage, can you explain uh, to everybody what the amortization table is when they get that in the mail or they usually get it when you close on a home? Yeah, so it's just a super um, complicated looking chart of numbers, right? And so basically, this is another thing that I, I oftentimes, it's often hard to explain, especially when you're trying to refinance. If someone's been in a home for so many years, let's say they have a 30-year mortgage and they've been in, in the home for 15, they think I've been in the home for half of the loan time, you know, half of the term, then I should owe... 100,000 because my house was 200,000. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. 
um, what happens is, again, this is risk, right? Um, the banks are taking a risk by loaning us this, this money, right, for a home. So they get their money on the front end. So you are paying, when you pay your mortgage, in the first 10 years or so, the majority of your money goes to interest and a little bit goes to principal. The majority goes to interest and a little bit goes to principal. And so you have that amortization uh, table. If you look down for all of those months times, you know, 12 months times 30 years, the closer you get to that 30 year, the less you're paying in interest and the more that is going toward your principal. And usually so you you'll see a difference like $5 a month. Yes. <laughs> not a lot. Um, and so you have amortization uh, tables for anything that you purchase that has interest, your car, your student loans, those things, um, that at the beginning, the majority of your money is going towards interest. And that's uh, something for people to know because uh, I think that's why some people, you know, they, they go back voting what's better, the 15-year mortgage or the 30-year mortgage. You know, if you're asking a real estate investor, I may say 30 because I get more cash flow. But yeah, I'm paying you know, a lot of interest up front. Or you may ask some real estate investors, well, I want to pay the 15 because I want to have it paid off for 15 years and I'll be retired from it. Right. Uh, a home, somebody for a primary home, maybe they do want to do the 15 year mortgage so that they have it paid off, but then that almost doubles your mortgage payment, mm -hmm. uh, right. which I may not, I may not be able to afford. Right, certainly. And so I rarely um, get people that want to do a 15 year mortgage um, depending on, you know, their debt and their income. But if they want to do it, I will always advise them, here's what your payment will be. This is what the amortization schedule looks like on a 15-year mortgage. And here is what it looks like on a 30-year mortgage. Now, I have a, um, a friend who he took a 15-year mortgage, but he also had previously sold a home, was PCS here to South Carolina, took the money that he received from the sale and put it on the new home so that he would only have a 15-year mortgage. But in his thinking, I will retire in these 15 years. So I want to be mortgage-free. I want to be debt-free. So that is what worked for him. So, you know, you just have to think about your um, financial situation, your plans for the future, uh, and whether or not you can afford it um, for, you know, 15, a 15 year term. Yeah. Because I have a, uh, I interviewed a guy, he's 50 and mm -hmm. he put his tenant, his 10 of his properties on 15 year mortgages because he mm -hmm. says the last one will be paid off by the time he's 65, which is when he intends to retire from his, his, his regular job. Right. So that was his, his plan. And he was able to figure it out to where he still made money off of it. So yeah, you're right. You know, the type of loan mortgage I pick up is going to be based off of my, my goals as well as what my finances lay out oh. to be any as well. Absolutely. Yeesh. There's a lot of <laughs> lot of big lot of big decisions when it comes to uh, the mortgage because um, people look at the rent and say, hey, I could pay fifteen hundred dollar rent. So why can't I be able to pay be able to pay fifteen hundred dollar mortgage? Uh, and I, I think you've heard the term uh, house being house poor. Mm -hmm. And so people also take into consideration the other things that it takes to have a house. And it's not just paying for the mortgage is other, you know, the repairs on you is not, you know, it's not on the, it's not on the landlord. That is very true. However, I, I, I don't knock or discourage anybody who chooses to rent, right? Yeah. Hope yeah. For, sure. rent for me. Right. 
Um, I don't discourage anyone from rinsing, but I do, if they have a desire to purchase, I will encourage them to do so. Because although you, you know, you are responsible for the repairs when you own your own home, you also cannot borrow from the equity. You can't take the equity out of the home that you rent. You know, you can't pass the property down to your child um, for the property that, you know, that you rent. You do not get any tax benefits for the property that you rent. So while there may be more incurred um, costs initially or when there is something like a repair, the long-term benefit of owning a home far outweighs that of renting. And so since we talked about equity, I've never tried to do this with a loan officer. I've only trying to do it with, with a bank. Do you provide HELOC services? Um, we currently, I don't know the answer to that one. I do not know the answer to that. That's a very good question. And I don't know the answer. Um, I have not done that with Angel Oak. Because um, asking that, you know, for myself and others as well, because uh, that's also something that's not talked about a lot. You know, people using equity within their homes, you know, so HELOC, home equity line of credit. And so a lot of people, right, we hear people use it to buy another car or do upgrades in the house. Uh, and I'm, I'm big on, you know, I'm not going to take one expense to create another, right? Uh, but for people that are trying to invest in something else, uh, I definitely look at the, you may be in a, uh, sitting on hundred grand and you don't know it because you've been in your home for 10 years, right? And inflation has just happened and homes have just skyrocketed. Uh, so you may be sitting on a lot of money and don't know it and can use that money to get started in, in whatever venture. It doesn't have to be real estate. It could be that uh, barbershop that you wanted to get started in. And so um, uh, another way of financing is a home equity line of credit or HELOC. Uh, usually, it's, usually it's somebody from how it was explained to me, it is not the person that is or entity that has the... Uh, is the first or the primary person that you own a mortgage to is going to be somebody else that is going to be the second. Uh, and the interest rates are higher though. <laughs> They're higher than they are with mortgages. But if your plan, you know, whatever your business plan is, if it works out to where you'd be able to pay back that HELOC in a timely matter and the interest rates not going to kill you, uh, then that's something to look into. I'll definitely see if it's something that Angel Oak offers. And I get why it would be a higher interest rate because again, it's risk and they would be the second lien and not the first. Um, yes. So that makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like seven, eight, I guess, depending on your credit, maybe nine. But a lot of people that, you know, the, the idea is to pay it back within 12 months, 12 to two months, two years, 12 months right. to two years. Mm -hmm. And so uh, please, so a lot of people don't know this, right? When I, uh, I go through your company, right? I get a loan. And then not necessarily saying your company does this, but I, let's say I go through your company and then next thing you know, I'm talking to somebody else uh, mm -hmm. after I got my home as far mm -hmm. as what my monthly mortgage payments are. Explain that process when companies sell loans to other companies. Sure, sure. Well, when companies sell loans to other companies, it should not impact the borrower. It's really not anything about you. You didn't do anything wrong. There isn't anything wrong with your file. Like Angel Oak doesn't want to deal with me anymore. It is. This is a money-making business. Angel Oak, for example, is a capital funds company. So it's about ma making money. So what they do is take a bunch of loans, they'll bundle them, and then they'll sell them on Wall Street, right? Because they are making interest off of the loan, right? And so when your loans are bought and sold, honestly, 
your loans may be bought and sold many more times than you know about because it is the nature of the business. The servicer does not even have to let you know if they sold your loan as long as they continue to service your loan. So they may not be the actual lender any longer, but they're the service provider, right? Um, Only when your servicer changes. So let's say, for instance, you were paying your your, um, mortgage to mortgagee.com, and now you're going to be paying it to homeloan.com. They have to notify you. Mortgagee has to notify you, company A. And company B has to notify you. Your loan is now going to be serviced by company B. By, you know, your payment next month, you're going to be paying with, you know, company B now. So that's actually the only time that they are required to notify you that, you know, your loan has been sold. Your loan may have been sold many other times prior to then. Um, But only when the service provider changes do you get notification thereof but it has absolutely nothing to do with you as a you know a client or a borrower it has nothing to do with your file it is about making money and interest for the larger companies okay and so that process when you when the loan is being sold to the other mm-hmm. company uh, a lot of times right uh, people when they buy a home, I don't have to pay my mortgage that first month coming up. I usually have to, don't have to pay for like another 60 days. Why is that? Um, so that is written in the guidelines that you do not have to make a payment until the first full month after your closing. So oftentimes, and I remember when I first purchased, you know, I didn't know why my lender was saying, we're going to kind of push for, you know, the beginning of the month. That way you don't have to pay your mortgage until the next full month or whatever have you. So, you know, it's just an added benefit. And honestly, I try to do the same thing to kind of get, give people a little bit of wiggle room before they have to make their mortgage payment, especially if they're moving out of one situation into another. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, um, trying to sell one home to get into another. And so mm-hmm. that's a, it's a, on a lot of, on a lot of levels, that's a, that's a tough transition. Right. Right. Certainly. Certainly. So I do appreciate that you, you've you been able to, and thank you so much for your patience, you've been able to break down in detail uh, these programs, these loan programs. And I'll make sure that we put a, a, a link to your website, your company's website, so people can go more in depth. Uh, and if you have a link that goes directly to you so that people can go directly to you, contact you, we'll, we'll put that in there as well. Uh, because these are uh, these topics are big because um, we want people to when they when they're talking to a loan officer or talking to a real estate agent, they could be a little educated. Um, I'm not saying you have to be an expert, but mm-hmm. at least I know when I call and pick up the phone, I know I have a gist of what you're going to need from me mm-hmm. uh, so that I can be prepared. And right. and I'm not thinking, oh, I just got to put 20 percent down or three point five percent down and completely forget about inspection, uh, mm-hmm. appraisal and closing costs. And that right there is just another, that could be another five grand on top of the 3.5% I was only saving up for. That's right. So I always advise to save, 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 save your money. And even when you don't have money, this isn't something we talked about. And I know that our time is coming quickly to an end, but we did not talk about how you can purchase a home if you don't have all of the cash money for closing calls, down payment, appraisal. Have you worked on your job for 15 or 20 years or 10 years and you have a 401k? You can borrow from it. 
the percentage rate and the and the time that they allow you to pay that back if it is for a mortgage is way less than if you were borrowing it for anything else so you can borrow from your 401k um my mama always told me to have a whole life insurance policy so if you've had a whole life insurance policy for 18 years or you know however long you've been in the workforce you can also borrow from your whole life insurance policy it builds cash value so there are other ways to get access to the monies that you need if you don't have all of it in cash. No, yeah, you're right. And that has been, I think, the growing uh, trend. People have been talking about whole life insurance and using it because mm-hmm. they've been having it for years. Like, again, sitting on money, didn't know it. Sitting on money. Mm-hmm. And not. So, and not yeah. mm-hmm. thank, you for, thank you for adding that, actually. That's, that's going to be like the quick tip for the end of it. So- yeah. What is your big why? What is your rich state of mind as to why you, you do what you do? Because it sounds like you had a you have a very uh, diverse career and what you've done throughout your life. And, yeah. so, and sounds like you've excelled in everything that you've done. So, you know, what is your why as to why you do what you well, do? Thank you. So um, I've always been a teacher. I was a teacher as a child. I was a teacher as a teacher and I'm a teacher now. So that is one of my big whys to educate people. Um, you know, the Bible says people perish for lack of knowledge. And so anytime that I learn how to do something, if I learn how to teach math, if I learn how to write grants, if I learn how to do investment property, if I learn this much about stocks, I'm sharing it with everybody. And so that is one of my biggest whys to educate people on this process. I, I, I had the numbers in my head and especially people of color uh, the, the, the gap, the homeownership gap between people of color and our white counterparts is huge. It's larger now than when our parents were our age. Um, so if I can help people uh, gain um, homeownership, uh, generational wealth, close the wealth gap, that's my huge why. Uh, you know, my parents told us to go to college, get debt, because they didn't go to college, right? get in debt, go to college and get a job that barely pays you enough to, to cover the student loans. And so, you know, but not knowing that they lived in their house for 25 years and you can get a HELOC or refinance or, you know, and pull that money out and invest. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to leave my kids with even more than what my parents were able to leave me because they didn't have the know-how. Uh, and I want to do that and help everybody that I can do that very same thing. Close the wealth gap, build generational wealth, and leave our kids with more than just debt. And it goes back to what I said. I think like that was the first thing I talked about at the beginning of this interview was exposure, uh, being able to expose our kids to um, this type of information and content. Uh, 15 years ago plus, a lot of this stuff was in libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh so, and, you know, a lot of us won't go in the libraries and going through the books or just being around people that knew that type of stuff. Right. Okay. So you're right. You know, people were had paid off homes that they bought in the sixties and it's been paid off for 15 years and not knowing that they're sitting on an asset that they can uh, do other things with. So, uh, you know, I, that could be a whole nother episode and we'll talk more, some offline at the end of this about that, those type of topics, because uh, that's why this is important to me is because of, the, the knowledge and being able to uh, expand the exposure. We're on our phones and on social media 
more than ever, you know? And so I know that I can get somebody more than likely to maybe listen to a podcast on, on Apple or on YouTube before I could get them to go to uh, a meetup in the library, right. you know? So right. with that, I'll go to the meetups in the library. You know, I'll go to the real estate investing local groups and get all of the information. If I have to put it, if I have to join a podcast or, you know, make an Instagram live video or Facebook video to get the information out there, then that's what we'll do. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Latoya. Uh, it was definitely a pleasure. Uh, and we should may have to do this again to go more in depth. Uh, thank you for being such a, such, like you said, a teacher. That, that was definitely appreciated. I appreciate you for having me.